Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and integrated well-being. Let's get to it. Here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Today's sponsor is Audible.com, who has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word products. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Unwrap your free 30-day trial at www.audible.com slash HHTR. Once again, that's www.audible.com slash HHTR. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is all about the heart. We love hearing from our listeners. Connect with us on Twitter at Lisa Kamen and HH underscore talk radio and like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness. Alrighty then, let's get to it. Let's talk a little bit about that nasty thing, depression. Um, most people think that we don't talk about depression on a show about happiness, but in fact, research shows us that we have more ability to help ourselves heal from depression and elevate our mood than we think we do. And my first guest today has written a wonderful book explaining just that. So yes, we are talking about what your brain looks like on depression and what it looks like on happiness using neuroscience to reverse depression. Dr. Alex Korb is a neuroscientist, writer, and coach. He has studied the brain for over 15 years and is the author of a wonderful book entitled The Upward Spiral, Using Neuroscience to Reverse the Course of Depression, One Small Change at a Time. Alex also writes a blog for psychology today called Prefrontal Nudity. Outside of the lab, he is head coach of the UCLA Women's Ultimate Frisbee Team, and he has a wealth of experience in yoga, mindfulness, physical fitness, and get this, even stand-up comedy. And that's probably why he's so happy. Hi, Alex. Hey, great to be here. Great to have you with us. I want to just just give you a big smile and hug for your blog name. Ah, well, thank you. 
Hugs are hugs are important in happiness too. They are preferably six seconds or longer. Correct. Correct. <laughs> yeah. But you don't and, need to. You don't need to count. You know. No. It is natural. Right. It it, sh- it should be it should be organic and fluid. But let's explain why the six second hug or a, a hug of good duration. Let's not even give it a number. Mm-hmm. Is so important. Yeah. Well, uh, having a long hug actually. Uh, causes increase in a particular neurotransmitter slash hormone called oxytocin. Um, and oxytocin is the, the chemical in your brain that uh, makes you feel more closely connected and, and trusting of other individuals. Uh, and so having that long hug increases uh, that neurotransmitter and makes you feel more close and connected to the people uh, that you hug. And it elevates our mood. I mean, it just makes us feel good, right? We feel happier. Yeah. No, it, it definitely uh, improves your mood because, I mean, oxytocin has a huge number of effects, including, you know, reducing anxiety, um, and it actually interacts with a whole bunch of other uh, neurotransmitters um, like dopamine and serotonin, uh, which are, you know, essential in in uh, positive feelings and happiness uh, and combating depression. Let's talk for a minute about the prevalence of depression in the Western world Mm -hmm. and its origins. Why? Why we're so depressed? Uh, Well, I mean, for one, I think uh, part of the, you know, the circuits that cause depression are, are sort of inherent to what it means to be human. Um, you know, sometimes the brain can just get stuck in these in these negative patterns uh, of activity. But you know, I think there's certainly uh, with the increase in in stress and the complex complexity of our society, uh, an increase in isolation, you know, from each other's as we uh, lose certain communities. Uh, there's definitely increased risk uh, for depression in in the modern world. And what happens to our brains in depression, the neurochemistry of what's going on under the human hood? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's extremely complex, and it's actually not you know, fully understood what exactly is happening on an individual level, because uh, there's, there's no actual brain scan uh, or EEG or lab test that you could run on someone to say, oh yeah, they have depression or this person doesn't have depression. But we know there are a bunch of different um, systems, neurotransmitter systems and brain circuits that are involved, uh, such as serotonin, norepinephrine, and dopamine. Those are the big three. And I can happy to expand on those uh, a bunch. And there's particularly uh, several brain regions that are affected. Um, and it, the best way to describe it is to say that the uh, depression is a problem with the way the the thinking and the feeling uh, circuits in the brain are communicating or miscommunicating with each other, and that can, includes the prefrontal cortex, which is sort of that more thinking part of the brain, and then there's the limbic system, which is the more emotional part, which includes the amygdala, the hippocampus, the hypothalamus, maybe some of those regions you're familiar with, uh, and then there are a few connected parts that have to do with um, habits, both good and bad, and uh, you know, emotional and or physical discomfort and pain, um, 
and the dynamic interaction of all these uh, of these regions using all these various neurochemicals uh, is what um, causes the brain to sometimes get stuck in this pattern of depression, but understanding how to modulate those chemicals and, uh, and regions is the, is the key to reversing the course of depression and, and reaching that you know, level of happiness and wellness that we're, we're sort of striving for. I want to get into the positive neuroscience in, in a minute. But before we do, I want to ask you how you started doing research on depression because there's a little bit of a story what got you there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I started uh, majoring in, uh, in depression. I mean, sorry, in neuroscience. Um, I, was, you know, I, had, I wasn't majoring in depression. I was happy through most of college. <laughs> um, but I started majoring in neuroscience just because it sounded cool. And the uh, the guy across the hall from me was majoring in it, and uh, so that's why I, you know I started to get interested in the brain. Um, the uh, the reason I started to get sort of more interested in in dep- the depression, the emotional side of neuroscience is, you know, my senior year of college, I probably was you know on the edge of depression, and it sort of started interesting me like, well, why you know why am I sort of stuck in this? Um, this feeling and, you know, everything feels so difficult and I can't get out. And yet, you know, it eventually subsided. But a few years later when I started coaching Ultimate Frisbee, uh, there was one of the girls on the team uh, named Mandy who, who really sh- stuck, out, uh, um, uh, stuck out to me because she was extremely athletic and had a great sense of humor and, you know, loved making people laugh and, uh, but there seemed to be something not quite right because every once in a while she would just uh, miss practice and she would say, oh, sorry, you know, I was feeling sick. Or she'd come up to me halfway through practice and say, uh, oh, no, I'm feeling a little bit sick. I'm just going to sit the rest out. And she would go off uh, and sit by herself. But it was strange because there didn't seem to be anything wrong with her. She never seemed to be uh, actually sick. And it was several months later that she revealed to me that she actually suffered from major depression. Um, and it was the first time I encountered, um, uh, you know, someone revealing to me uh, that fact. And she explained that when she said that she was sick, it was really just a way of, you know, a simplifying describing the, the torment or the, the depression that she was going through, how her life just felt, you know, empty and, and meaningless and how she, you know, could cognitively understand, you know, that things weren't that bad or that she was connected to people around her. It didn't feel that way. Uh, and so she'd been depressed for, for many years and, you know, I encouraged her to keep uh, coming out to practices and being around the team. And uh, unfortunately, I mean, for a while it, you know, seemed to help, but unfortunately, uh, it, uh, it wasn't enough. And, um, as a, a friend of hers later said, she bought, uh, fought a battle, uh, against depression every day. Uh, and she lost that battle once, mm. uh, and she ended up taking her own life. Uh, and it was, it was devastating. Uh, and I was, you know, certainly in, in mourning and, you know, i cried every day, you know, at least for a month after and, you know, just, uh, it was, you know, impacted me for many years and probably still does. Uh, 
but part of in the aftermath of that, I wondered. I was like, well, what, you know, what would make someone do that? How is, you know, what was going on in her brain that, uh, you know, made made this decision make sense uh, to her at the time? And you know, just thinking back to my own feelings, like, you know, why was my brain able to, you know, break the cycle uh, and come out of that? And so in trying to understand these, uh, these things, I, uh, I decided to uh, go earn a PhD uh, in neuroscience. And I was already working at UCLA, so I applied to their excellent program and got in. And I uh, wanted to look at, you know, went to a lab uh, that studied depression and looking at electrical activity in the brain to try and figure out um, how I could help people like Mandy in the future. And I'm so glad you did because your approach is not only healthy, it's really wholehearted. I mean, you're really uh, advocating an approach that uh, encompasses the mind, body, the emotion, common sense, Mm-hmm. And, um, <laughs> you know, the, the science bears witness and supports yeah. what you're sharing, which is fabulous. Um, we're going to go to a break. And when we come back, I want to carry on the conversation about the positive influences in neuroscience and some of the interventions and suggestions you make in your new book, The Upward Spiral, Using Neuroscience to Reverse the Course of Depression, One Small Change at a Time. To learn more, please visit www.alexcorbphd.com. On Facebook, that page is, oh, I love saying this, Prefrontal <laughs> Nudity. And the Skype handle is Prefrontal Blog. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Love to read? Looking to harvest your happiness? Then look no further. Lisa Cypress Kamen is an author of three amazing books that will assist in taking your well-being and self-mastery to the next level. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life offers breakthrough strategies for creating your own personal happiness revolution. Perspectives on addiction, an integrated journey to wellness is an overview of the recovery process from a multi-stepped perspective and holistic approach of substance abuse and lifestyle management. Through her third book, Reintegration Strategies for Depression, Anxiety, Anger, Grief, and Post-Traumatic Stress, offers an own nonsense approach to dealing with post-combat civilian life reintegration issues for veterans and their families. You'll find these books online at Amazon.com and HarvestingHappiness.com. Mindful meditative moments are free and relaxing on-the-spot mini staycation journeys designed to calm the mind and soothe the body from the comfort of wherever you are. No reservations or travel required. Check out the playlists on HarvestingHappiness.com and Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes and SoundCloud. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. 
Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. We are talking about your brain on depression, not just on happiness, with Dr. Alex Korb, who is a neuroscientist, writer, and coach. He has also um, written a new book called The Upward Spiral, Using Neuroscience to Reverse the Course of Depression, One Small Change at a Time. And I want to mention that I made a goof prior to going to break, that the proper Twitter handle, it's not a Skype handle, but Twitter handle is pre frontal blog. So Alex, let's talk, just jump right in and talk about some of these positive interventions that have a, a, a positive impact on the brain and depression. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, and talk about in the book how there's, there's really sort of nine different, uh, uh, ways to start that upward spiral. Um, the first and most important is probably just understanding and acceptance, uh, because, if you, you know, start to understand and, and accept the, the differences and the uniqueness and unique challenges that you, you have and that your brain is going through, uh, you know, that itself can be a step in the right direction because you can't always solve everything, but, you know, understanding it gives you a greater sense of control uh, and peace. Um, and, you know, there's about eight others I'm happy to get more into that includes exercise, uh, making decisions and setting goals, uh, changing your sleep patterns, changing your habits, uh, something called biofeedback, uh, practicing gratitude, uh, focusing on, on social support, including that physical touch that we were talking about earlier. And then uh, lastly, professional help. And there's, that includes a bunch of you know, things from seeking therapy to taking medication to uh, neuromodulation techniques. Um, let's just touch on one of the less obvious but more recent discoveries about the correlation of sleep deprivation, and by that I mean good quality sleep, mm -hmm. and depression, because I think there's been a lot discovered in recent years about this and how underrested we are as a society. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, no, sleep, I think, is one of the most important uh, and perhaps... Uh, straightforward ways to improve your mood and, and start overcoming depression. There was a huge study done um, that looked at insomnia. And, you know, it's known, been known for a long time since we've just, you know, known about depression that when you're depressed, you often tend to have lots of difficulty with sleep. You have trouble falling asleep or trouble staying asleep. But this study actually looked at, okay, well, if just people have problems with sleep, they're not depressed, you know, what's, what's going to happen to them? And the, the chances are is the longer you have problems with sleep, uh, the greater your likelihood of develop, developing depression. So there's clearly this intersection of how, you know, if you're depressed, you're more likely to have sleep problems. And if you have sleep problems, you're more likely to develop depression. And so changing... Uh, a few things about our, our habits and our routines surrounding sleep can actually help greatly improve the quality of your sleep. And oftentimes people, you know, sort of resist that, like, oh, I don't have enough time to get more sleep. And, you know, it's, the answer is not always necessarily getting more sleep, but there's a bunch of different little steps that you can take uh, to actually improve the quality of your sleep. So it doesn't actually take more time. It's just more restful and more beneficial. 
And this is essentially good sleep hygiene, right? You know, like the, the yeah. TV stays out of the bedroom. The bedroom is used for like two things, sleep and mm-hmm. sex. And I can say yeah. that because you've got the blog with prefrontal nudity. Mm-hmm. So yep. I feel comfortable talking about it with you. But, you know, in essence, it's really setting ourselves up for good rest every night quite intentionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, sleep hygiene, uh, you know, is the is the technical term that that covers a lot of these things such as you know, avoiding bright lights around bedtime, you know, not uh, using your laptop in bed, um, having a routine uh, just help to help you wind down before you go to bed so you're not like furiously, you know, surfing the internet and then just plop into bed 30 seconds later, you know, take a shower, relax, brush your teeth, something that uh, helps your brain sort of prepare uh, to start falling asleep. But there are other other um, aspects too, such as exercise. Exercise can actually uh, have some of the same effects on your brain activity during sleep as antidepressant medication. Uh, both, of, both of them actually reduce uh, the amount of REM sleep that your brain uh, gets and therefore is increasing the amount of restful, more restful slow wave sleep. Uh, so even during the same amount of sleep, you could be uh, feel more rested, um, and you know. Also, importantly, sunlight. Uh, getting outside in the middle of the day so that you can be exposed to the sun, uh, both through your eyes and through your skin, uh, can have effects that improve. You know how your circadian rhythms are interacting with your sleep cycle and the release of of melatonin uh, that help make sleep more restful. And when I coach clients who are dealing with depression, this is usually the first line of defense, you know, from day one, get out in the sun and walk, mm-hmm. even if it's 20 minutes twice a day, do it in the morning, do it in the evening, track, track your moods, see what's happening, start to learn your body rhythms mm-hmm. and understand um, the, the peaks and valleys of our emotions, which we often don't pay attention to. Yeah, and I, I think that you know it's great that you make that suggestion of going for a walk in the middle of the day because I think a lot of times you know when you're dealing with someone with depression they don't have quite as many you know emotional resources to do all these difficult interventions. But the key to starting the upward spiral is to just do make one small little change that's slightly better than what you're doing now. So you don't need to like go to the gym, you know four times a week and run on a treadmill for an hour. Uh, but just, you know, instead of sitting on the couch all day, just get up, just walk outside. Even if just walking outside for one minute and walking back in, that's better than sitting there and doing nothing. And maybe if you feel like you can manage to walk around the block, great. Um, you know, the more vigorous the exercise, sometimes the more beneficial, but even, you know, moderate, really simple, short walk, uh, can have huge effects. And I think what I hear you saying is if you can only make it outside for a minute, that the result we're looking to achieve is maybe day one, it's one minute, day two, it's two minutes, and pretty soon you start weaving together, stitching together enough minutes, you have hours and days mm-hmm. of a better mood. You know, yeah. the, 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 the fog or that dark cloud begins to lift. Yeah, and and actually, I I sort of uh, started thinking about this idea when I had a a friend who uh, 
who, who wanted to get in better shape and he made it his goal to do one push-up every day. And I thought that was brilliant because, you know, you can always do one push-up. Just like you can say, okay, you could always <laughs> walk outside of your house and, you know, and then walk back in if you're not feeling like going for a walk. But, the, but if that's your goal, that's very easy to accomplish and you get the sense of accomplishment just by doing that. But chances are, okay, once you've, you know, remember, oh, yeah, I got to do a push-up and then you get down on the floor and you start doing a push-up, you'll be like from that position, it's much easier to then say, okay, well, I might as well do five more. Or I might as well do 10. And so, you know, he, what he wanted to do, you know, 30, but some days, you know, you're not always going to be able to do that. So if you make it your goal to just walk outside uh, of your house every morning to the sidewalk, well, yeah, you got to put on your shoes and you got to go outside. But the thought of going for a walk, you know, around the block uh, from the comfortable position of your couch seems much more difficult and unmanageable sometimes than when you're already out standing on the sidewalk with your, with your walking shoes on. So sometimes you just have to make it a tiny little goal. And yeah, if, even if tomorrow you still don't feel like walking around the block, or maybe one day you feel like walking around the block, but the next day you, know, you just don't quite have the energy, still keep up that habit of just you know, walking outside and doing this, the smallest little thing that's a step in the right direction. Because once it starts becoming a habit, then you don't have to even sort of think about it. It shifts from this conscious prefrontal part of the brain into a subconscious uh, habitual part of the brain. And then your brain starts creating this upward spiral uh, all on its own. And this is the power of practice, which ends up becoming permanent. You know, mm-hmm. the only way to change is to change, is, to, is yeah. to continually practice these shifts that that we are after. By the way, right now I'm enjoying Elizabeth Gilbert's latest book, Big Magic, Creative Living Beyond Fear. And it's a free gift from our sponsor, Audible.com. This book will resonate with our listeners as it explores themes of courage, enchantment, permission, persistence, trust, and divinity. Sign up for your free 30-day trial at www.audible.com slash H-H-T-R. Once again, that's www.audible.com slash H-H-T-R. We don't have much time left, but I want to just touch upon the importance of a couple of other areas here. And then I'm going to direct our listeners to your website and the book once again. But the importance of people, of, of relying upon one another, getting support, that sense of belonging and, and, and interconnectedness and mm-hmm. how important that is in raising our happiness levels and lifting depression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, we talked about it before that physical touch um, can release oxytocin, which modulates all these other neurotransmitters and, and make you feel better. Um, you know, talking to people, uh, even if it's not necessarily about, you know, you don't have to talk about deeply about all your problems, but just like talking to your friends regularly um, has positive benefits. And, you know, those hearing someone's voice often has, can have more benefits than just texting them. So, you know, try and see them in person. But even sometimes when you're feeling down and you don't even feel like talking to people, it's sometimes very helpful to remember just being around people, uh, having people nearby, uh, can help you from sinking, uh, sinking down deeper into that depression. 
Um, we've got the proverbial gratitude practice, which is probably positive psychology 101 intervention. Mm-hmm. So we won't stay too much on that, but I can't emphasize enough, and I'm sure you as well, the importance of being grateful for the things in life that do go well. And I want to jump to the necessity um, to be aware of seeking professional help, that if yeah. you're not getting um, results, if you're not seeing any shifts, that it may be time for a higher level of intervention in consort with everything that you recommend in the book. Yeah, no, I think professional help is a very important part of the upward spiral. And, you know, some people are fortunate enough that their brain chemistry is in such a way that, you know, just going for a run every day, they're totally fine. Some people, you know, may have to make more changes, including uh, taking a, a, you know, antidepressant medication or going to see a therapist. But there shouldn't be any stigma against that because, you know, exercise is modulating the serotonin system and medication is modulating the serotonin system. So it's all changing brain chemistry. So, you know, some people one way might work, other people another way might work. It's just... We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Remember what it feels like to receive a gift? We all know nothing gives happiness like a present, so you should unwrap yours at harvestinghappiness.com and sign up to receive your free ebook, Got Happiness Now, that offers simple, user friendly ways to get greater happiness in your world each and every day. That's harvestinghappiness.com. Lisa Cypress Kamen has built an impressive global lifestyle management consulting company offering applied positive psychology, mindfulness, and integrated well-being coaching. Her services, including addiction and trauma recovery support, as well as life crisis triage, are available worldwide through phone, video, and on-site. In addition, Lisa delivers workshops, lectures, and trainings to corporations and institutions and is a frequent guest expert on many prominent radio and TV shows. Connect with us at Harvesting Happiness for more information. Harvesting Happiness for Heroes is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation offering innovative and integrated stigma-free combat recovery services to veterans and their loved ones with programming that focuses on the transformation of post-traumatic stress into post-traumatic growth using scientifically proven positive psychology coaching tools and strategies that increase self-mastery, self-awareness, and self-esteem to help heal the invisible wounds of war. To make a tax-free charitable contribution or to learn more, please visit hh4heroes.org. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about happy brains. And we are talking about really the neuroscience or the science behind our positive mood, positive emotion, and living the good life. And my next guest is Dr. Daniel 
J. Siegel. He received his medical degree from Harvard University and completed his postgraduate medical education at UCLA with training in pediatrics and child, adolescent, and adult psychiatry. He served as National Institute of Mental Health Research Fellow at UCLA, studying family interactions with an emphasis on how attachment experiences influence emotions, behavior, autobiographical memory, and narrative. Dr. Siegel is currently clinical professor of psychiatry at the UCLA School of Medicine, where he is on the faculty of the Center for Culture, Brain, and Development, and the founding co-director of the Mindful Awareness Research Center. He's an award-winning educator and a distinguished fellow of the American Psychiatric Association, as well as a recipient of several honorary fellowships. Dr. Siegel is also the executive director of the Mind Sight Institute, an educational organization which offers online learning and in-person lectures that focus on the development of mind sight in individuals, families, and communities that can be enhanced by examining the inter- interface of human relationships and basic biological processes. Welcome, Dan. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Oh, this is, this is a pleasure. I mean, you are, everything that you're doing is in the wheelhouse of what we do over here on Harvesting Happiness, and we are happy to share your amazing work. You have several books, and I'd love for you to share some of your titles with us so I can have our listeners check you out. Sure. Well, there's many titles. So there's Mindsight. There is... Um, Brainstorm. Uh, there is the Pocket Guide to Interpersonal Neurobiology. There's the Developing Mind. Those are all books that I, I've written by myself. And then with Tina Payne Bryson, I wrote uh, a book called The Whole Brain Child and a book called No Drama Discipline. And with Mary Hartzell, I wrote a book called Parenting from the Inside Out. Lots of good stuff on using our brains and I dare say even using our hearts in the process of becoming happier, healthier, whole people. And that's really what I want to talk about too is this this notion of becoming more mindful and more grounded and happier um, by using our brains in a more healthy and pragmatic way. Absolutely. Well, it's amazing. You know, we now know how you use your mind and how you interact with others in your relationships actually changes the way the brain functions in the moment and how it becomes structured over time. It actually changes the anatomical connections in the brain. And no doubt, you know, and, and if you look back, going back decades ago to the, the 60s and the 70s and the hippies era, and I'm thinking of Ram Dass's book, um, be here now there was really something to it right there really is something to it absolutely you know i actually met with ram das recently in hawaii where he lives and was telling about all the exciting things on neuroplasticity and even the way understanding how you are open to the present moment what if he of course talked to people about in the early 70s that came from wisdom traditions now has a science behind it that we don't really need to know, but when we know it, we actually understand very deeply the power of awareness to actually change our well-being. And for those of us who are not in the know about neuroplasticity, in essence, it is science proving that we can teach an old dog new tricks, right? Right. 
You know, you can, and uh, it's amazing what happened in the biological field of neuroscience was that we were using techniques that come outside of the biological field, like in meditation, for example, and we could show that the way you focus your attention, which is basically a process that streams information in part through awareness, not always in awareness, but when you do stream attention in a certain way, which is to open up awareness, to be aware of what's happening moment by moment, and letting go of judgments. Some people call that mindfulness. Other people call it presence. This way you're taking time in to actually cultivate this openness to what is happening. It actually changes very important circuits in your brain that help your brain become more balanced in its emotions, more regulated in how you process your thinking, and even helps you focus your attention in a more stable kind of way. So these are research-proven ways where a state of open awareness, this thing called presence or mindfulness, actually creates a stronger brain, a more integrated brain is the way I call it. And this is important for us to truly understand and, and in an ideal scene be able to experience individually because those of us who have had difficult experiences in our lives, challenges, trauma, um, health issues, addiction issues, the science bears out that we can actually retrain, rewire, or reboot the brain to um, practice a different way of being in the world. Well, this is so true. I mean, let's take, for example, the studies, we mentioning addiction, the studies of preventing relapse from having an addiction. Mindfulness, mindful awareness is extremely helpful in different forms that it's been studied to help prevent relapsing. And you could say, well, why would that be? And one of the ways of understanding is it changes the structure of your brain in a way that allows you to deal with your emotional in intensities like a craving with more stability and more strength. So in a way, it actually creates more resilience in your life when you have your mind that's able to create this open, mindful state. So a resilient brain, in a sense, a brain that can resist the challenge if you've been addicted to something and stay the course is actually supported by having a mind that can create this open awareness. And this is important because it actually um, flies in the face of some of the triggers and cravings or relapse, relapse prevention programs that with, with a mindful approach, uh, it's funny, I just uh, led a group last week for uh, several young adults and we were talking about urge surfing, which is an older concept, but the, it, the, which requires that we be able to trust that we can have the urge and if we don't attach to it, but allow it to pass that it will eventually subside and we carry on. You know, and that's a, such an important thing you were teaching. It's, it's also a part of how we even learn to surf emotions so that if you let an emotion arise and just accept it for what it is, it'll come and go in about 90 seconds. But if you try to push it away, it'll hold on even stronger. And if you try to cling to it, it'll really dig into you. So in these ways, when you are just accepting, it means you're not clinging and you're not pushing away. You're in a sense developing this open capacity to have an observing part of you say, here's an emotion, let's say, of sadness that's arising or loneliness. It comes and it goes. It's just one of a million kind of feelings I might have today. But 
If I say, I shouldn't be lonely, I shouldn't be sad, that shooting on myself is actually going to make <laughs> me create a lot of suffering. You know, so. Yes, I've heard this expression, shitting on myself. Yes, yes. Yes. And you shouldn't do that, Lisa. No, 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 no. <laughs> None of us should do that. You know, it's, it's creating unnecessary suffering, needless yeah. suffering. But it's funny because one of the definitions of mindfulness, you know, that John Kabat-Zinn, a colleague and friend of mine, uses, that everyone uses, you know, is non-judgmental awareness. Well, what John has recently clarified, what he really means by that is accepting that the judgments that arise are just mental activities and you don't have to take them so seriously is how I would say it. Another way of thinking about it is, you know, you can be present with what is, but once you start to name it and classify it, you're kind of judging it in the sense that you're putting it into a category. So mindful awareness is really about sensing that, okay, we live in these bodies, the brain makes all these linguistic categories, it makes judgments about things in other ways too. And so trying to have non-judgmental awareness sounds very judgmental, but what, what is really meant by that is try to get in touch with a way of being present that allows you to just accept things as they are, like an emotion, like loneliness or sadness. Just accept, here it is, and it'll arise and fall within a very short amount of time, and you'll develop a sense of equanimity if you learn to do this. Yes, such a lovely word, equanimity, really. Yes. Um, it is, it is a, a, a noble uh, goal to, to have equanimity. But I, I think we should talk about the, the emotions and feelings and sensations that arise within us, that it's the attention that we uh, give to it or where we attach to what is present that predicates if we're going to be uncomfortable or unhappy or we're going to be at peace with the process that, like you say, it's just one of thousands, perhaps tens of thousands of thoughts that will pop into our mind in a given day. Yeah, well, exactly. You know, I like to say that, you know, where attention goes, neural firing flows and synaptic connections grow. And when you think about it this way, you say, well, okay, if I'm going to pay a lot of attention, let's say, to the negative things in my life, I have to attend to them in order to process them. And what I say is integrate them into your life. That's fine. But if I'm obsessively focusing attention on all the negative things, then I'm going to have a pretty negative life. But on the other hand, if I can intentionally cultivate positive states like gratitude and appreciation and connection, not only to my own history and understanding it deeply, but connection to other people, then we have an opportunity actually to cultivate the positive. When you pay attention to the positive, neural firing flows in that direction and then synaptic connections grow. It's a classic thing in neuroscience we've known for a long time, and we just have to capitalize on this important wisdom from science. And that was Dr. Dan Siegel doing neuroscientific poetry flow. That was perfect. <laughs> and we're going to go to a break. To learn more about Dr. Dan Siegel and his work, please visit drdansiegel.com. On Facebook, that page is Dr. Dan Siegel. And on Twitter, that handle is at Dr. Dan Siegel. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. Ooh, 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 
We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Lisa Cypress Kamen, author of Got Happiness Now, is also a prestigious TEDx presenter. Her talks, The Mysteries of Fear and the Inversion Theory of Joy, can be found online at TED.com and on the Harvesting Happiness YouTube channel. Be a part of the grateful good. Grateful Nation brings together patients, families, friends, and staff of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center to support the quality care and groundbreaking research at the Medical Center. Through new and traditional media, members of Grateful Nation share experiences, thank our caregivers and researchers, participate in sweepstakes, and gather to sponsor and host events and much more. Being grateful inspires others to be grateful as well. Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day. Check out the critically acclaimed documentary film, H Factor, Where Is Your Heart? An insightful visual journey from Lisa Cypress-Kamen, showing that every person possesses the means to be happy. Follow Lisa and her nine-year-old daughter, Kayla, as they travel the world on the hunt for the universal keys to human happiness. Their question? What makes you happy? Discover the origins of human happiness, where to find it, create it, and keep it. Find it in our shop at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I am here chatting with Dr. Dan Siegel, and we're talking about what it means to be brain happy. So if you're just coming into this conversation now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because it's kind, it's free, it's legal, and it's quite mindful. So Dan, we're talking about what it means to have a happy brain, like what goes on under the human hood. Yeah, you know, it's so exciting, Lisa, because we're at this incredible place where, you know, in the work I do, which is called, uh, basically, it's a mindset approach to living, which is drawing on a field that I work in called interpersonal neurobiology. And we basically see the mind as the source, not only of your subjective experience, which you know about through a process called consciousness or awareness, and not only information processing, which can happen within awareness or even outside of awareness, but also something called self-organization. And it's a fancy mathematical term, but what it really means is that you have a process that's regulating, in this case, energy and information flow. And this flow is actually something you can learn to sense with more stability, and then modify in a very specific way, which I'll mention in a moment. So with this definition of the mind, what's really, really exciting about it is it helps us see how the mind can actually change the health and happiness of the brain and the body as a whole. 
But it also sees this self-organizing process as not just, well, certainly not just up in the head, because energy and information flow isn't limited to the skull. It goes throughout the whole body. But then when you deeply think about it, you realize, well, if the mind is this self-organizing process that's emerging from energy flow, energy isn't even limited by the skin. Mm. And then you see that the mind is as much within you as it is, in this case, we're saying, between us or among us, right? And this between aspect of the mind is often not spoken about. So for me, when I study, let's say, as an attachment researcher, relationships, or as a clinician, when I work with people about their relationships, what you find is that you can look at a process that happens in how we connect to others, and even in how you relate to yourself within your own body and even within your own brain, that's called integration. And then we see that integration, the linking of differentiated parts, is present in the between and the within of mind, and it optimizes not only self-organization, but I think it optimizes well-being and happiness. I couldn't agree more. And the, and the concept of integration is not that old of a concept for the medical profession. No, I mean, when really, you think about integrative medicine, it's not that old, is it? Well, you know, the word integrative medicine, that phrase is completely different from what I'm talking about, actually. I'm glad you're bringing it up, Lisa, because I was recently at an integrative uh, mental health um, meeting. And after four days of presentations of what was called integrative clinical work, basically, uh, not a single person mentioned what I'm about to say here. And so you have to be asking the question, what does someone mean when they say, I take an integrative approach? So in integrative medicine and in integrative mental health, what people are doing is saying, hey, there's lots of different approaches to well-being. So let's use classical Western medications, let's use massage, let's use acupuncture, let's use acupressure, let's really do, let's do yoga, let's do meditation, let's make sure we're eating well, let's look at the kind of uh, insights we can get from wisdom traditions. And I love that kind of integrative approach to helping us bring well-being into our lives. Now, what I'm talking about is actually quite different. I'm using the word in perhaps generically a similar way, but I'm saying that within the process of energy and information flowing, like let's say right now between me and you, we can honor differences, that's the differentiation part, really in many ways treasuring the differences, enjoying the differences, but then in addition to differentiating, integration requires that we link, and the linkage would be respectful, compassionate communication between me and you. So if, Lisa, you and I are having an integrated relationship right now, it would have a feeling of harmony. It would have five features of being flexible. This spells the word faces. Flexible, adaptive, coherent, which means resilient over time, energized and stable. And this faces flow, that all spells the word faces, this faces flow is what science tells us integration creates. So for me, almost 25 years ago now, when I made the proposal that the mind is this self-organizing process that's both within and between and asked the mathematical question, what does math tell us is optimal self-organization? The answer is differentiating and linking. So that's where the word integration comes from back from the early, uh, uh, really, 90s. Then what you say is, okay, well, if that's what's going on, 
can you find integration scientifically? And you can. You can look at it both in relationships and you can look at it in the brain, literally how areas of the brain are differentiated and linked. And a study that just came out a couple weeks ago from the Human Connectome Project says the best predictor of well-being, happiness and good relationships and all these positive things in our life is whether you have an what they say is an interconnected connectome, which basically means an integrated brain. Fascinating. And I am grateful that you clarified this because the, the, I immediately go to the integrative medicine place. Sure. <coughs> Most me. people do. Yep. And what you're saying is that it's, it's taking place within the brain itself. Absolutely. And not just in the brain. It happens wherever energy and information flows. So you can look at um, a one-to-one relationship. You can look at a family, a school. Uh, you can look at a company. You can look at a society. You can even look, because I consult with climate change experts, at what's happening on our planet and demonstrate that when the planetary system is not integrated, when we're not honoring differences across species, for example, and then linking in respectful ways that we support the, the health and well-being of all species, then what ensues when harmony, which comes from integration, isn't there, is chaos or rigidity. And unfortunately, very sadly, it's hard to even say this, what we're beginning to see on this planet yeah. is a lot of chaos, a lot of rigidity that's emerging from a non-integrated way that we as human beings have li- begun to live on this planet. And so, so much of what I try to do is to bring more integration into a person's inner and interpersonal life so that the way they relate not just to themselves and to other people, but to the whole planet is more integrated. And I think that's our only hope for actually turning things around for uh, the way we live on, the, on this earth. And, you know, what, I, what comes to mind is the concept of cooperation and collaboration first with the self. So if we're at war with the self, whether it's our thoughts, our feelings, our actions, and we're living an incongruent life. That's right. There's going to be discord, discontent, depression, addiction, poor interpersonal social relationships, a low level of satisfaction with life. And um, conversely, <clears throat> excuse me, when we are feeling connected, engaged, switched on, and, and collaborative with those around us, everybody's well-being increases. Totally. I mean, this is the thing. There's a beautiful book by Christakis and Fowler called Connected which supports what Gandhi said a long time ago, you know, we need to be the change we wish to see in the world. And what the Christakis and Fowler work basically shows is that if you take on a way of living, let's say in a more integrated fashion, what is integration? Integration basically, when it's made visible, is kindness and compassion. Mm. And so if you take a deep breath around that and say, okay, I'm going to find a way to become more integrated so I have kindness and compassion within me, starting with toward yourself, then it comes out in how you relate to people immediately next to you. And what the Christakis and Fowler work shows in general, not just for kindness and compassion, but in general, is that three degrees of separation away from us, someone will be affected by the way we decided on our own to live a different life, whether we're exercising more, or eating well, or stop smoking, or you know, we, we, we become more integrated, I would suggest you fits into that. This is where it, we have to start from the inside out. And this is the beauty of really uh, this empowerment of seeing how does that work? Well, mindful awareness is one example of many 
of a way of cultivating integration inside your own brain. So for me, if someone had to, if someone said to me, "Hey Dan, you know, uh, we're on an elevator. What is your summary of what mindfulness does for the brain? Why does it make you happy?" What I would say is, well, every study so far done is showing that mindfulness leads to a more integrated brain. You get, for example, the prefrontal cortex, which links the cortex, the middle areas, the lower areas, the body and the social world together. The corpus callosum, it links the left and the right. Even the hippocampus, which links differentiated memory systems to each other. All of this has been proven now. So to say, well, what does mindfulness do? It makes your brain more integrated. When your brain is more integrated, you're happier and you connect with people in a more integrated way with more kindness and compassion. And that this is just a more gentler way to be in the world. Absolutely. And you know what's beautiful about the gentle word is that if we can become gentler with ourselves, other people pick it up from us and then it starts to spread. And so this is where for me, in this last book I wrote called Mind, which will be out in a while, um, you know, I was struggling with how to scientifically present this. But the mind is not just within us. It's within us and between us. And when we realize that, we realize that becoming gentler with yourself is also becoming gentler with others and other animals, other plants. Everything around us, living beings, can receive this integrated way of being gentle, being kind, being compassionate. Thank you, Dr. Dan Siegel, for sharing um, your pearls of wisdom, for sharing the FACES model, flexibility, adaptability, coherence, that means resilience with change, energy, and stability. To learn more, please visit drdansiegel.com. On Facebook, that page is Dr. Dan Siegel. And on Twitter, the handle is at Dr. Dan Siegel. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my wonderful guests today, Alex Korb and Dan Siegel, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember... Happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. And we love hearing from our listeners. Connect with us on Twitter at Lisa Kamen and at HH underscore talk radio and like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet and KBUU and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange. Go out and make it a good one. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new broadcast and continue to harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on iTunes and SoundCloud. To learn more about Lisa's global practice as an applied positive psychology coach specializing in lifestyle management as well as addiction and trauma recovery services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness.
you tell me what is your